everyone. This is episode 74 of the fabulous Tumble Vision, your X-rated business show on the web, bringing our social human and tech folks together. And tonight we have the wonderful Daniel Moore, author of We the Media and the new media active with us. And we're going to explore some, some things, including um, what it means to have the command and control Samstock, uh, Rupert Murdoch, in trouble. And uh, what else? What else? Oh, Kevin. So you have some very cool technology uh, for news idea. Think tonight. I've been at um, the Open Source Conference this week, and there's some interesting, very interesting ideas around combining wikis with source code control. That I want to talk about. It sounds so nerdy, but I swear to you, if you're into this writing and journalism, it's, it's really interesting. Dan, what else, what else do you think we're in about? Oh, some little stuff like how we're going to pay for our news. <laughs> the important stuff. <laughs> so stay with us and uh, join us online at tumultuesy.tv. Hey, everybody. This is Tumul Vision. Your favorite podcast about where your human, our human and tech selves intersect. I am your co-host Heather Gold from Toronto, Canada today, and joining me, Deb Schultz is a little bit under the weather, so we're not sure if she'll join us later. But Kevin Marks is always, usually, always is here. Kevin, you're Hi in. There. Today. I'm in. I'm in Portland for the Open Source Conference, a Rollins Open Source Conference. And I've co-opted the media room here while everyone else is out, is out having dinner. Fantastic. Oh, it's beautifully quiet. I love that conference. It's the best room you've ever broadcast from. Go to meat, <laughs> cheese, and bread while you're in Portland. It's fabulous. And anyway, this is episode 74, and our special guest tonight, we are fortunate to have him, is Dan Gilmore from in Brisbane in the Valley. Thanks so much for being oh. here, Dan. Hi there. Good to be with you. Uh, Dan, I haven't seen you in a while, but I first met you when you still worked at the Mercury News, San Jose Mercury News, when I would go in there and everyone would be in their little cubicles, Adam Lashinsky and Chris Nolan and Langberg. And it, was so, it was totally what I imagined from, from the movies, what a newsroom was supposed to be like. <laughs> Do you ever miss that? I, I missed some of it, but, uh, you know, after a while you – it's it's good to move on. No one should ever stay a colonist for more than ten years. <laughs> and I, I was coming up you, on that. So. You should let ever you should let everyone here in Canada know that they think they still think we're a colony. Oh, I'm talking about a columnist. <laughs> but the uh, oh, 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 I thought you said colonist. Yeah, no, it, it it was good. It was good to. Uh, move into new things and it, it was also pretty obvious that the newspaper business was not going to be the best place to be so i'm glad i made the change but i miss the now people. i i love i love it now and um, do you get to work with as many people i mean you everyone was right there i would think it's a bit lonelier the way we work now it, it's a in some ways it is but then again even back then, I used to work uh, at home a lot and be on the road a lot, kind of like now. And uh, But it is fun to work with a large group of people and to get stuff done together. We, we, we're still figuring out how to... Before we get a little bit further, I just want to explain uh, to people tumbling if you're new to our show. We have some people here in the chat room tonight who are Alberto and Tina. Welcome. Shervin, fabulous to have you here. Uh, tumbling, some people want to know what is that? Why are we using this word? It's in tumble vision. It's an old Yiddish word and it's a practice, tumbling. I'm a comic myself. And it refers to someone who really got the room involved in the show. So now that we're living in a sort of post-command control world, a more networked world, it's a useful word, we think, because we didn't have a good one for what, 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 was one, what is one doing when one is trying to have and, and make a conversation or you know, social engagement happen and continue. Something that, that uh, our tools and, and machines and platforms can help us do, but that we believe is essentially a pretty human Skill set and, and maybe the key skill set, as Clive Thompson was saying just last week. We've had a little run of journalists here, Dan. 
No, Jane, you were saying, oh, it was good to move on, but I, I just have to credit you. My memory is that when you say, oh, it was obvious the newspaper business was going to end, you were like the first person out of there, at least like the Mercury News, which was some of the best tech and business journalists covering the industry. I think of all of those people who understood the industry pretty well, you were the first to realize like, hey, man, this is a, this is for the birds. I'm not going to – this isn't going to work. So now it seems maybe passe, but at the time it was, seemed quite – odd, maybe risky, certainly insightful that you were willing to, to make a change and to, to leave. Well, I mean, look, we'd already been shrinking as a, as a newspaper by then. This was 2005. Uh, the, the collapse of the internet bubble, the last one, um, had caused a tremendous amount of damage to the, uh, newspaper's revenues. And, so people were already on their way out, but the it was just fairly clear earlier, really, even than that. And I was certainly not the first to figure it out that uh, the, the newspaper business was going through a, a a secular change, not a cyclical one. And I mean, I can remember 1999, Andy right. Grove. Andy, Andy Grove stood up before newspaper editors in 1999 and said, "You people are just a few years." away from what happened to us with memory back in the 80s and you're not even close to understanding that and and you know he was off by a few years but he was basically right yeah i I meant to say credit you with of that gang at the mercury news it seemed you were the the first of the journalists there to to make this change not necessarily the first person of in the tech business to see the the change coming but do you think it's similar to um the economic change the entire country of the u.s is going through well every everything the internet touches um that is a traditional business it it has some impact on it and Media has been obviously the you know one of the most heavily uh, affected things. So certainly, media, newspaper, just part of that part of the, the world where <clears throat> advertising and uh, content are, are getting separated. But I, I think there's just a sort of a, an empty, not emptying out. There's a um, I think we're going to end up with a few surviving big newspapers or and regional ones and not too much else in that business. But I also think that the, um, the ecosystem for journalism, for media, for information is going to be way, way more uh, diverse and better after this change is, is all the way through, even though it's painful and messy right now. But I think we're going to be better off in the end. One of the one of the topics Do you of com- find. Go ahead. Sorry, one of the topics of conversation at, at OSCON was um, um, talking about the impact of, of open source on business models for software as well. Um, and there was a um, a good talk by um, Simon. What's his last name? Um, Simon Phipps. Who, who writes? Um, who, who's been writing about open source for a while and was at, was at Sun, talking about how um, a lot of the, the software business has been pretending that you know trying to create artificial scarcity so that they can um, create a business to sell, and the challenge now is, is creating a business that is where everything is fully open source and you, you can still um, persuade people to pay you to do things with that. And I think that maps very much to the to the, the problem the media has as well. I mean, in some ways they had a they had that answer already. Because they were um, effectively um, giving their stuff away, or at least publishing it at below cost and putting advertisements on it, um, but, the, but the, the challenge has been that the advertisements um, value has, has, has shrunk a lot. As people, um, as, as a lot of what they were paying before was was um, they were the only way to, to get through to people, and that that piece right. is gone. Yeah, I mean, it was a monopoly, and yes. newspapers were monopolies, and TV was an oligopoly. That that's yes. a hard business to transform into a competitive one, right? Whereas, obviously, you know, we were talking about the UK a bit before. There, um, they had a competitive business um, 
beforehand because they had uh, many national newspapers that that segmented themselves to compete um, rather than um, many local newspapers. Yeah, UK is so interesting to me. Uh, but you know, the the regional papers uh, in in the UK are in terrible trouble. Yes, and and the national ones are going to have a big shakeout before it's over too. I, I I think it's uh, there. There's still places in the in in the world where newspapers are growing like crazy, like India and a few others. But it's uh, you know, in the end, the trends are going to the online effect is going to hit everybody. Yeah. So, what do you think most uh, writers should be doing? I mean, I've, obviously, blogging or involving themselves in social media, but what, what do you think? Do you think it'll be like Kevin's saying about open source that you'll get paid because people will just volunteer to pay you? Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm telling students where uh, I've been, I work uh, uh, part-time at Arizona State University's Cronkite Journalism School, and I'm trying to get students to think about entrepreneurship as uh, something they better understand, if not participate in. And uh, at some level, the journalists of the future are going to be inventing their own jobs or more likely working with people who are inventing the new ways of doing it. Not so much. I, I think we're finding new ways to do information, but the, we're going to need a lot more creativity and business models and open source kinds of techniques where you, uh, where, where you can do things in that way. Maybe one of them, in fact, I'm sure it'll be one of them, but we, we're going to see, I think all kinds of new things developed that no one even considered back when it was kind of a monopoly and oligopoly business. Dan, did, did, is Kevin the one who introduced you to this concept of tumbling? And uh, does it make sense to you or is it something you've always just thought about but you've just called it something else? Well, the, the word was new to me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually think of uh, tumbling and, and what we're doing as sort of the – the perfect communications for people with ADD. Because? Because we're doing five things at once. <laughs> well, because I were in two chat rooms. And... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and keeping track of a lot of things. Actually, it's, it's uh, uh, as Linda Stone put it so perfectly, it's, it's continuous partial attention. And this, this is a great way to have a lot of different conversations at once. Yes. So, so tumbling as it works in a, in a live room, which I use it performatively, is, is done to, um, well, one, it's quite improvisational, and to have, uh, find out that at least part for me, what I started doing that was a little bit different than other people had done before me was to not only ask the audience for questions or suggestions, as improv, improv, traditional improv had done before that, but to look to them for jokes. Um, because they were offering them up sort of voluntarily anyway. And so then I decided, well, what if they, um, you know, I didn't write them all. So then I, I, you're right, there's a lot of continuous partial attention in the sense that you're tracking a lot of people and how they're doing. And, um, in fact, I did do a show. Uh, if you want to get the link for it, heathergold.com slash show, uh, Kevin, on continuous partial attention. So that was by a couple of years ago with <laughs> Lane Becker, Justin Hall, Mickey Krimmel, Tontek, Telic, perhaps the most continuously partially attentive person in the world. Um, <laughs> and part of what we, one of the things Justin was suggesting at, at that time was 2007, was that maybe we're going to get to a point where the internet was going to feel like, like uh, being psychic, that you were just going to know where people and things were, what they were thinking. And, 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 and social media has moved quite a bit since 2007, but maybe it's, um, maybe that's a little bit of the case. So, so the reason we call it tumbling instead of facilitation is facilitation is usually, or community management, uh, is usually seen as something that at least, you know, they hire usually a woman, uh, not always. So 
somebody without a lot of status or uh, authority in an organization to babysit people so they don't complain about an organization on their website. That's how a lot of those jobs kind of came to be, but <laughs> as opposed to the job of someone to try to do what you can to involve everybody uh, in what you're doing. So, I mean, as a practice, Dan, how did you, how have you found as you started um, wanting to be, have a more participatory community? How, what have you, what did you find worked to make that happen and to keep threads continuing and, and mm-hmm. going into larger depth rather than skating along the surface? Well, actually, if, if, if I'm known for any single uh, statement, it is that uh, it's one being back to the 1990s when, when I said, my readers know more than I do. And yes. that's... Yeah, I believe I've, I've quoted you many times. I started using it about seven or eight years ago with people formerly yeah. known as the audience. And the, someone said, oh, Dan Garf, Dan Gilmore said that. I'm like, great. So... Actually, we... I, uh, Jay Rosen and I are are sort of independent um, authors of that one. I I said uh, a while back the the former audience, in fact, it was at a uh, conference in, uh, I think, 2002. Jay made it much more memorable when he called it the people formerly known as the audience. So uh, it's it's kind of his line at this point, and I'm happy to hand it over to him. But uh, it's... The, the whole point is, and we're, you know, we're both, I think, adamant about this, is that the uh, the notion of conversation and not lecture is at the heart of the new world of communications, whether it's traditional media uh, participating, whether it's companies participating. Uh, it would be not. That governments uh, typically does not, but and it doesn't include most companies either. For that, most you know, most papers are still getting around to understanding it. But it's just true. Your audience knows more than you. Your customers, at some level, know more than you. Um, <clears throat> and it's a it's just a huge opportunity. So if you just recognize that and and in find it not scary but wonderful uh, a whole lot flows directly from that and the conversations that flow are fantastic it, it's really pretty wonderful and uh and what have you found helps keep a conversation going deeper rather than um just moving to the next topic um you know this is going to sound simplistic, and I don't mean it to, but the first rule of a conversation is listen. And if you listen well, you're going to have a good conversation, almost by definition. And I, I just think paying attention to what other people are saying and, uh, and sorting Sorting out the uh, the things that where the tone may be offensive, and getting the the content out of instead of uh, instead of being just offended by it, that's hard to do, but it's worth doing. And at the same time, moderation in all of the senses of that word. is really important. And again, it's not something that people do. Moderating doesn't mean control. It, it means guidance and, and a gentle touch to help people uh, have that conversation without getting, uh, you know, rapidly to where they start. Uh, where You know, Godwin's law is always there in, in the background. You just don't want to ever get that far. And right. Godwin's law meaning? Meaning that, I, f- I forget the exact quote, but basically uh, the longer an online conversation goes on, the more likely it is that uh, the word Nazi will enter the conversation. <laughs> I think we've gotten to a point where um, if you play that to television news, it's faster now <laughs> than it is online. They beat us to the punch. Um, 
So, so listening and how do you, what are the things or the techniques you use to let people know that you are listening in, in, online? Uh, the best way is to be, be uh, responsive when you're answering people, when you're, uh, you have to demonstrate that you've been listening by, uh, by being thoughtful in the way you respond. And if you are, you know, if you're getting thousands and thousands of messages, it's, it's hard to do, but right. it, and, and this is why I don't blame CEOs for not, you know, participating in conversations. They don't have time. And there's one of them and a zillion of the rest of us, but people at various levels of companies and reporters uh, and, and others should at, at least be conscious with people they, they, who, who want to have that conversation with them and who want to engage. It's, uh, it's difficult, at times, but it's really worth it. So, um, well, I was thinking about that because one of the one of the th- things I've seen that's the difference between Twitter and Plus is that um, with Twitter, even if you're an enormously famous person, um, you you're not inflicting your followers on everyone else. Um, you're, you're because because it doesn't thread everything together. Um, if if you if you post something and get a lot of replies, um, that doesn't the the one troll can't poison the whole conversation as easily. Um, unless you bring them back into it and respond to them directly, and then suddenly everyone else can see it too. Whereas with um, more classic um, comment systems, and, and Google Plus has this, has this too, um, if when um, someone, someone sort of well-known with lots of people following them posts something, you see that the entire response set from those people, so the, the conversation can be dragged down by one or, or, or just swamped by lots of people saying the same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and... One of the, you know, we're going to be dealing with this for a long time to come, but we have not solved the troll problem. Um, we've not. Well, this, this is where we think tumble, This is where we think tumbling can make kind of a big difference because yes. um, if you, from the beginning, at least, this is what I, I know from doing it live. I've done it a little bit less online, but um, if people know there's a host from the beginning, that you're tumbling, that there's a person there and a person paying attention to how they behave and what they say, it's a little bit more like, from, from what I can see, people feeling like they're in your living room and a little bit less like they're in some empty schoolyard anonymously uh, so that you can help direct. I mean, that's part of why I think it's so important to, for people to tumble their conversations because if you don't and once the trolling starts, you can just derail everything. But you yes. kind of create a space for trolling. And Neil had a nice piece about it. It's like if you're not there, you're almost making it more likely that they'll be there. I, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. And, again, it's part of the notion of moderation in, in several senses of the word. Um, right. And, and we are uh, – I, I think people are starting to realize – actually, it's not starting – People understood this for some time, but it's been hard to uh, devote the resources to it. That that human intervention matters, and that that we are uh, we're, we're still working out the rules of how we're going to do these things. But clearly, this is a a thing that is uh, working. It works nicely in a live situation like this if you had tool uh, there are tools you could wish for to make it easier to do that kind of moderating or tumbling what what would you like to have so that if you had lots more companies you probably didn't get a lot more you know participation than we're used to in the conversations we're leading um I, I, there need to be user tools uh, not just uh, n- not just tools for the hosts, but you need both. The, it still amazes me that we have not, um, for example, at least I don't think we have reinvented something that 
was on Usenet back in the 1980s. It was um, the uh, Bozo filter, right. where you could you could basically make somebody in a on a uh, discussion board. If you if you really got tired of what they were saying, you could just like make them disappear, and that's pretty cool. Uh, and yet, oddly, we've not reinvented that since for you know what 20 years uh we should probably get that back i think there's some systems now that will do that but well, well the, the, that's blocking it, it does that i mean the bozo filter was only ever personal it was not global so you you would stop seeing their comments um mm-hmm. some of the other systems have had a sort of admin um bozo operated bozo filter where that person gets put into the space and only they see their own comments that that's a fairly common tool that um, that moderators have. Um, so that's, that, that's one thing to do that. But um, the interesting thing about Twitter is that there's, there's, a, there's a sort of soft bozo filter, which is that you only see the comments from people you're already following um, right. unless you do some extra effort. Um, so it's, it's, there's, there's this sort of you know, fuzzy bozo filter in that you don't see much. And the, the thing is, it works because the combination of that and the shortness of the tweets means that it is... Um, What's his face? Somebody said it's it's more like banter than actual conversation. Um, you only ever get it in small slices, so um, you can't develop a, a long thread anyway. So therefore, just seeing bits of it still works. So it's a sort of this interesting um, combination of pieces that makes it actually viable. Um, but it, it also leaves people hungrier for something that is more like the the, the old Usenet experience. And I think that's what Google Plus has delivered, um, but to much the same audience, to to a very homogenous um, techie audience, just like the yeah. old Usenet. Well, I think that's the beginning of Google+, Plus, and I think if they tumbled it differently, I mean, Dan, if you think yeah. there were different people present on Google+, Plus and hosting people in a different way, do you think they could lead the conversation away from purely uh, software specs? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm assuming, like everybody else, that what we're seeing uh, on Google+, Plus is, just, uh, you know, Kind of a 0.8 uh, version of of a uh, product that's going to have many many versions before it's uh, it'll never be done, but before it's fully mature. And I think once, especially that there's API for it, um, and assuming that the, that Google gives people uh, lots and lots of room to create stuff that's good using the API, then I'm pretty sure that Google Plus is going to be quite spectacular uh, in the way it gets used to do things like this because it combines a real-time and and archived nature, which is fairly amazing. Yeah, to me, one of the things it does, that Dean Eleven was saying this today on Google Plus, is that it, it almost makes this kind of tumbling more necessary because each time you introduce something, you are starting what could be a kind of conversational space or moment. And if you don't, you know, make that, hold that together, uh, it, it's just not very fun to see the results. For some people, like, I don't know what it's like for you, Dan. I mean, you, if you have some people with enough followers, you could just see, you know, one comment after another that often don't have some, anything to do with one another. And then uh, I'm thinking, for example, Bill Gross, who posts a lot and likes, uh, but doesn't respond to anybody who, who responds to him. And so it's hard to feel like it's going to go somewhere. It's just kind of like a bunch of people throwing their matches on a fire. Yeah, but I, I mean, I like reading what Bill posts, and I understand that he's not using it for much more than publishing. Um, and I I have to admit that, you know, I, while I try to participate, I don't uh, get into every single thread. But I, it's, uh, I, you know, again, it's a month into this thing. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see where it is a year from now. We're having, you know, on Twitter, we, we, we do participate, but in this weirdly uh, and I think disjointed way. Where it's uh, it, it's possible that Twitter could have done a whole lot better for the long run if they had uh, had longer posts and uh, threaded conversations and things like that. But 
it's, uh, you know, for what it is, it's been spectacular and it's still a fantastic way to catch up with things that are important if you have the right people to follow. So your, your follow-up project, your first, uh, you know, web ish I guess, book, We the Media, is Media mm-hmm. Active, which you are considering sort of an ongoing, maybe an unbook, I know, some people like <laughs> to call it, something that will, Dave Grain, Jay Cross, use that term, something that will keep updating and keep changing, ongoing. Yeah, I, I don't know what a book is. Uh, and I, part of that realization is... Uh, been kind of wonderful because now I'm experimenting with what a book is. Uh, and, you know, I should point out that I'm hardly the first to re- discover this. I'm, you know, way down the list of people who've figured this out. But it's a, uh, it, it's a huge amount of fun. And one of the reasons I'm getting to do it is that uh, – not intentionally, well, at least it didn't start out this way, but I, I ended up uh, self-publishing. Um, had, yeah, I wanted had to ask an, you about that. So how, how did that happen? Well, it, it happened because the, uh, the, the New York publisher that wanted to uh, buy the book said no to Creative Commons uh, license, which huh. is a non-negotiable thing on my part the the new york publishers that there's really only one that really gets creative commons uh, didn't want the book and several other publishers were interested but wanted a different book so the the one that made it there there was a it was a publisher i would love to have gone with it i i don't want to say who it is but it was it would have been great and but they said no and uh they said no even after my agent went back and uh, said, how about we reduce the advance to zero? And they still said no. So that was, you know, a moment of uh, real clarity for me. Okay, here we go. Let's see what this new world is about. And it's been uh, a lot of work. I got to tell you, you, if you do this and to do it well, you, you have to, you have to do a lot of work, but I've learned a lot. My, in fact, my agent has stayed with the project um, partly because he wants to learn about this new world too, mm. and he's also doing foreign rights. Um, in fact, it was just published in Japan this week, so uh, by by one of the biggest publishers there. Um, and uh, so I've had to learn things that I had no. Uh, understanding of before, and I'm still just scratching the surface of what I still have to learn. But doing the book as a thing that starts on the web, essentially, and then does multiple versions of which the paper book is one, uh, and where my intention is to update it uh, once a year into a new a new book and to keep mm. writing about these things online. I've, um, we, we've actually not put it public yet. Uh, I, I have a former graduate student who's been helping me on the, the web stuff and, uh, we've got it now into a, it's all, by the way, it's all online. So readable there too, as well as, uh, yes. through books, bookstores and, 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 Kindle, and Kindle. Et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, um, have a version of it up now. I haven't made a URL public where it um, uh, anyone could comment on any paragraph. Uh, and I'm kind of not sure I want to. I'm not sure about that. Partly because I'm afraid no one's going to care. But <laughs> uh, that, that's you know writer paranoia. Uh, but that's a, that's one way to do it. Uh, yeah, another possibility, maybe throw it up into a wiki, uh, see where that see where that goes. But right. later this year will be a new version with with new stuff because things have changed. You know, I, you know, it's a book that came out last year, but uh, there's nothing in it about uh, WikiLeaks. Well, you mm. can you can bet there will be in version two, um, and. Going to do several different kinds of uh, new ebook versions. Uh, 
one with videos in it, one with, uh, I hope, a game in it, because I think games are just key to understanding information in the future and, and presenting it. Um, and then, you know, all kinds of other possibilities. I, I just, I can't believe how much fun this is. And so what, other than foreign rights, has your agent been doing in the process? And and is the reason it was turned down because you wanted to release it uh, free on the web? The, the publisher that, that made the offer said no to a Creative Commons license. And uh, that's just not something that I negotiate on. I'm, that's, that's, how I, that's how I do this stuff. And... Uh, you know, if uh, what what I don't think publishers get, it's not not, and this is not true of every publisher. The 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 first book, we the media was published that way. It was right. it was available for download, essentially the day it went into bookstores. And what what I don't think that the traditional publishing industry understands yet is that. Uh, I am still getting royalty checks for We the Media for a book that's mm. now seven years old. Every quarter I get a royalty check. It's not a whole lot of money, but it's not coffee money either. Mm. And the reason I'm still getting money for that book is that it's been free to download since the day it was published. Right. And, and people think that's counterintuitive, but it's not. Absolutely not. It's because that's how you get your message out to people. You, the other, you know, with we the media, the the traditional press in America ignored it. They just totally ignored it. It it got lots of attention overseas, but it was essentially ignored until after it was mm. uh, out for several years. So, it, and anyway, I'm, with with the new book, it's the mission is different too because I'm trying to yeah i'm this one's not about how journalism cha- is changing this one is about how i hope that all of us will change right in, in being uh, better and and more active users of media as consumers and creators and and not just the passive consumers that we've been in the past so, Dan, how is this process of being more uh, tumbly, as you like to say, involved with uh, audience, in quotes, in your work, how has it changed you as a person over the last 10 years? I'm probably the wrong one to ask. Um, <laughs> you should ask my friends and my family. Um, it feels... I think I, I've I don't know I've I've felt pretty fortunate for a long time. I, I've um, ten years ago I was um, you know I, I was in a job that I thought was probably one of the you know two or three best journalism jobs that I could possibly have and. Waking up every day, uh, to borrow a phrase from a friend, thinking I had won the journalism lottery. Um, hmm. And now I'm waking up every day and realizing that, you know, I, I won, you know, the, the life lottery too. I mean, this has been I've, – I've gotten so much uh, – People have given given me so much of themselves. I can't believe how how lucky I am. It's just an amazing thing. And part of it is because I've always recognized that you know I'm uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and that I'm in fact I really enjoy being the stupidest person in the room which happens a lot when I'm around people in the technology business. That's a, um, that, and, and when I, I was a fellow at the Berkman Center uh, at, at Harvard, 
everybody talked about being the dumbest person in the room. That was me. But if you know the least of anyone in the room, you can learn the most. So that's that, you know, I, I have a great, I just have lots of opportunities to keep learning and to, uh, to just try new things. That, that's pretty fortunate. Mm. I like what you're saying here, Kevin. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Uh. <laughs> so it also so reminds that, me that. Go ahead. So, so Dan, you were talking about a, a wiki um, version of the book, and something that running a conversation I had last night with um, Ward Cunningham and, and, and Tantec. Ward Cunningham was the, was the inventor of the wiki originally. Um, and they were saying, what we actually want to do is combine the wiki with distributed version control like, like GitHub has. Mm-hmm. Um, so what GitHub lets you do as a programmer is publish your code and everyone else can make their own versions of it. And they can send you suggested edits back to you and you can incorporate them if you want. But all the versions exist in parallel. Um, and they were saying, can we should to do this for the wiki so that people can edit the book and create their own edits of it, and you can decide which ones go back to your version. But it's uh, not, it's not, there's not just one path at the end, like, like, a, like a Wikipedia wiki, that, that the other paths are there too and, and available. And that, I think if they can pull that off and with this usable by non-programmers, I think that will be a, a fascinating tool. That would be staggering. Um... I'm just thinking about the commit process when you do that. That that's a really different. Um, you end up if you with doing that one right. If if that would work, you could have. Um, you you could have books that exist in kind of parallel universe of books. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Where there's. Um, where there's different outcomes, uh, but that they they all are plausible. Um, it would be amazingly interesting to see a group of people do a novel that way, and and yes. watch and watch it the threads go in different places. Um, but yeah, if, I I, w- I want to try that. That's okay. A, <laughs> Hell yes! It, it's funny because things like GitHub and, and version control systems are starting to be discovered by people in the journalism business uh, who are starting to realize that um, that the publishing of the article is not necessarily the end, and that. If you think about uh, the article as just one form of what you do with what you've learned, that version control is going to become really important. And yes. uh, th- uh, it's it's still kind of a strange concept to most people, but I think it's going to be one that we see in corporate. Now, n- internally at newspapers, there's lots of version control. Uh, yes. There's, there's, uh, it's just never exposed to the public. Right. I mean, that you don't see that process. But also, there's a, there's the assumption there's there's one true version, um, which is the same thing that, that Wikipedia has inherited. You know, with Wikipedia, there are all the historic edits are there, but there's only the right. um, you have to really dig for them, um, and they're all the presumption of everyone editing it is that there is one correct version. Whereas if you look at the way GitHub works, um, the the assumption is the first thing you do um, when you work on a GitHub project is you create your own copy of it and do your own work on it um, and only afterwards um, do you decide whether to, to push it back or not but, but you've, you've still got your version there um, and it's only if you think the other person would like it too they can have it. So there's a presumption that, that, you, that you would want to um, have more than one path through it. Yeah and it's, you know, software is a little bit different well, not a little bit. It's a lot different than yes. prose, but um, there's there's some there's some commonalities that are kind of interesting to think about. By the way, I'm speaking about software. I've discovered recently that with this new book project or whatever it is, uh, I'm also in the software business, uh, which had not fully realized until a journalism school. Uh, called up and said, 
we'd like to use this book. We're not sure how many copies we need. Uh, do you have any deal you can offer? And we talked about it. And so I, I said, okay, this, this many uh, uh, downloads of the uh, PDF for this number of dollars each. And then another, you know, X above that for uh, this dollars minus a couple. And then after that, anyone in the school who wants to use it, it's there, there's, it's fine. And again, it's, mm. you know, it's an honor system, right. of course, but universities are pretty, they're pretty careful about following copyright law. And, uh, so they said, yeah, let's try that. We'll start with uh, 52. And so I, I suddenly realized I had done a site license of a book in, in, yes. the, in the e-book and that that made me – that meant I was in the software business. So it was a right. – uh, it's part of why this is so interesting. I'm, I'm, I get to learn things I never expected to learn. So, Dan, your book has been out. Be the activist been out for a year so far. No, it's uh, since uh, it's really just over six months. And how is it doing financially compared to the one that came out before from a major publisher? Um, it's uh, it's in the black. Um, wow, including uh, all the time it took you to write it. I'd never count that. <laughs> I, you, I, no, I, I, that's not how I. That's not how I do the writing right. I do. And now it's you know I'm not a uh, I'm not a big time author who commands large advances, so that's uh, that's fine. But it's 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 well in the black in, in the basic sense, and and that's pretty early. And I think that it's I'll do fine. But keep in mind the kinds of books that I do are uh, in the there's a lot of other things that go on where I can uh, get some uh, revenue. And one of them is speaking and consulting gigs. Um, I don't – I made a fair amount speaking about We the Media, um, uh, although I poured it all into a nonprofit that never went anywhere. Um, but I uh, – and I do get some gigs – for, for the writing, you know, that, that are based, based on the fact that I'm an, a published author and, and, and blogger, et cetera. So there's, that's an element of it. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know what the, uh, and I haven't really sorted out. I have a, well, my, my accountant knows what my schedule C looks like, but that's a, and, and it's a, uh, you know, it's profitable. So, that that's good, but I, I think on this, especially on these two books, I, I would have done them anyway. I, I just this is stuff I care about so much that it would have been hard not to do them. I, I people who mm. write for money, uh, who write nonfiction books for money, um, I, I the only thing I would ever say to them is if you really don't love the thing you're writing about, you shouldn't probably do it. Um, I've I've had publishers call me and ask if I want to write a book about this or that, and and I have had to say, nah, I don't care enough. I'm, I, do I want to? How, how badly do I want to do something that requires me for months at a time to get up at four or five in the morning? Hmm. Um, I, I I gotta want it badly, and and I gotta I gotta need to do it. And these are things I care about, so uh, I'm happy that it's make. I'm happy it's profitable, but I'm. I have a feeling I'd probably try and do it anyway. In terms of speaking, I'm curious. Do people uh, seem to feel like there's a difference between one that came out of a publishing house and one that didn't? You'd have to ask my speaking managers about that. Um, I I think that there's definitely a more uh, – I, I think it's probably easier to get gigs for books from major publishers. 
than self-published because there's still this there's still the people sneering at self-publishing in much of the world but I think that's going to just change so fast in in the next uh, several years it's it's changed a lot already and um, you know this the fact that I self-published it here did not uh, did not deter um, uh, Asahi Publishing in Japan, which is a huge publisher there and published the last one in, J- in Japanese, uh, did not dissuade them from doing it this time. They it, it didn't even occur to them. And if anything, they're a more traditional publishing culture than than American. Uh, in fact, they're way more traditional in many ways. So. Um, it, well, we'll see. We'll we see get, in the end. Why don't we get a little bit into? You mentioned earlier the context of what's going on with Murdoch's um, empire uh, in the wake of the phone hacking scandal in Britain. <laughs> I mean, here you are on one side doing, you know, trying to help teach or encourage uh-huh. journalists to be participatory and to tumble. I hope you don't, you'll indulge our use of the term <laughs> or facilitate or engage everybody and uh and what an incredible uh he's just the perfect representation of command and control really i mean to 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 you is it symbolically do you think signify the end of that way of operating well uh, i don't know if you saw rupert murdoch uh before parliament uh acting like a doddering old man who was totally out of touch and out of uh, command, uh, you might wonder. Um, well, I mean, that's the, that's the Reagan defense. I mean, it's a, it works well. It's worked in the past. Right? Well, yeah. I, I, I think there was a certain amount of, I would, I would, I suspect there was a certain amount of acting, uh, going on there because he's well known for being one of the most hands-on managers in ever in the media. But, uh, the the Economist cover uh, last week or this week has, yeah, I think, I, I think it's the um, they they call them the last of the moguls, the media moguls. Mm. That's that may be true. Um, it's certainly the last, or he's one of the last of the traditional media moguls. Uh, Berlusconi certainly another one. Um, and I, I think he's going to be, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to change the way that company operates. I, I, I just can't imagine that they're going to be able to go on from what they've been doing the same way. But there, you know, the command and control, um, may just be shifting, uh, and I say that with great trepidation because I, th- there's a media control about to take place with uh, the, the uh, telecom companies. They may not decide – they may not make the editorial decisions, but they could decide which uh, editorial operations win and lose. There, there's a lot of things to be considering yes. here, but yeah, Moog, the I, the whole thing about Murdoch and News Corporation. I mean, the the Wall Street Journal at uh, news columns have remained, in general, very high quality since they bought it. He has not wrecked the Times of London, but pretty much all the other news things that News Corporation does are, are shabby, and that the reason that they're and they're profitable and the reason that they've the news of the world was the biggest or the best selling newspaper in the UK was that people were buying it so all of this you know loathing over the scumbag tactics that these people were using that's being expressed by people in the UK has a little kind of hollow feel to me uh mm. because they were buying this stuff so I, I would urge people who find this all so appalling to at least 
take a glance in the mirror and see if that perhaps they contributed to it. If you click on the the links about the latest celebrity scandal or or uh, stuff that the tabloids uh, feed on or bottom feed on, then then you're helping make that profitable for them. And I just think we should all keep that in mind. Well, that's part of, I guess, people becoming more conscious um, participants that you're trying to help. Well, we should want to be, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't just purchasing. It's a kind of participation. Yeah. Encouragement. I've got nothing against entertainment. And and a lot of what the tabloids do is just pure entertainment. But uh, I, I, I wish we could, you know, these are fairly serious times we live in. And I, I would love it if people actually started caring a little more about that. I, I see a question here about the Guardian. Yeah, I want to go there next. Uh, so, so Shervin, thanks for jumping in here, wants to, to know what, what papers you think you'd mentioned earlier. Oh, they'll consolidate. We'll have a few left. So which ones do you think are going to be strong enough? And stick around and be able to have viable businesses online. He's mentioning the Guardian says they might go to business soon, and the, the Times is saying at some point they'll stop the print publishing. Well, I certainly hope the Guardian sticks around. I think it's one of the great news organizations in the world, and I say that uh, not only because I'm writing a regular uh, column for them online at this point, mm. but I think they're just. A, a great news organization. I, th- I think, and I also think, by the way, that the Telegraph in London is a great uh, news organization in, in the newspaper world. New York Times, it, I am, I am praying that their uh, so-called paywall, which is more of a you know like suggestion wall, um, will work. I mean, we we buy the Sunday Times and we get the online as part of that. Uh, and I would pay. I'll pay for the New York Times. I pay for the Journal, uh, and if they don't keep doubling the price, I'll probably keep paying for it. Um, the there's a. I don't know which ones are going to survive, but what we are seeing in the newspaper business and the new the big news organization business, uh, finally, because it's taken a while, but we're seeing a lot of experimentation with business models. So I, I'm not like a lot of other people who say, Oh, paywalls suck. They're terrible. Don't do it. I think, you know, I'd say, yeah, Hey, try everything. Try a paywall. If it works, that's great. Let's do more. Um, try everything and see what's, what's going to work. But I, I do think we're going to have good information. The, the issue in a world where there's so much of it is going to, going to be in part sorting it out uh, and we're not we don't have the tools yet to do that very well and we need better ones that will involve communities as, as well as individual choices well so, so this is something that um uh gabe zickerman said this morning was um he was talking in the gamification session he said um don't set limits on how much people can pay you. So he talked about the online games where most people don't pay anything, but some people pay very large sums, you know, $10,000 a month to, pay, to play Farmville. Um, and he said, and, but by setting the payable price for the times where they did, they were trying to compromise between most people who don't want to pay fit and the people who, who would want to pay enough to keep it running. Um, and it, it strikes me that the Kickstarter model has demonstrated that, that this can be done. Um, mm-hmm. People have published books and you know, other, other media works as well as, as physical things through that. And they, they deliberately say, here's a bunch of different prices. You can pay this and get this. We can pay this and get this. Um, and it's, it's also similar to the way that the, the pledge drive works for, for, for NPR and the other you know, um, pledge fu- you know, publicly funded um, media that way. I think that model actually maps very nicely to the Internet. Um, w- because the, the cost of goods is, is close to zero, you're, you're basically, instead of paying for the goods, you're paying for them to keep making the thing that you like. That's, yeah, there's, that's going to be one of, the, one of the models, actually, that, that several that you described. I think the New York Times paywall resembles NPR more than it does uh, the Times of London, which is a hard and fast one. Um, and 
the the I, I'm I'm overjoyed at the experimentation, and I I do like the idea of having different prices for different things. The only difficulty with that with a news organization is it's not the same thing as Farmville. Um, there there's a lot of fundamentally different things about that, but and and if you're if you're creating some super high level um, information product that's going to cost a lot of money uh, there's a there's a, an issue that no one has figured out how to deal with in, in any easy way which is that uh, once you publish it if it's newsworthy someone's going to cover the fact that you published it and that the basic information will be out there right so you don't have a lot of time and, and that, that's not a bad thing I there's there are a lot of people who think that there should be some sort of exclusive time rights for news. That's crazy. Um, but we we don't know what's really going to work. But uh, the, the beauty of this thing now is that we're starting to find out and there are a zillion experiments going on. Mm. Yeah, I think – People have, have, are, are trying different things out now, and that, that can only be positive in the in the long run. Yeah, assuming so, so, something assuming something works. I mean, that's I'm I'm not I, I'm, I'm an optimist. I don't think Bruce Sterling uh, doesn't seem to be optimistic about that anymore. I'm I'm still an optimist about something about an ecosystem uh, that will support. Uh, enough good information that we w- will be well informed. I'm not. I'm not so optimistic that I uh, am blind to the possibility that I'm wrong, because I may be. Well, we're getting down to the wire here. Anything else, Kevin? You want to uh, get into? Um, Your I was just mentioning the, the Neiman Lab um, post this week where they were comparing newspapers to, to the Netflix price changes as well. Um, and and they, they, they came to a, a slightly pessimistic conclusion saying that um, the, the, the price would just have price increase after price increase because they'll keep trying to raise the prices as the number of people who want to give the money goes down if they, if they keep this single price thing. Well, that, that doesn't work um – in most businesses, yeah, uh, and uh, on you know Netflix. Actually, it's funny because we 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 did the opposite of what Reed Hastings was expecting. We canceled our uh, streaming and went back to our three per month uh, DVDs or three out at a time DVDs. Hmm. Which for which for us is better, and we we also are uh, Amazon customers, so we get their very very small by comparison uh, library of streaming stuff. But that's growing quickly. Um, I, I, you know, it's it's business. I think it was a mistake to jack prices up that that far that fast, but. You know, they're in business. That's uh, – it's – again, it's – we'll see what works. Well, I think it's entirely possible this may lead to a much more fundamental change in what we think of as business. Um, And the people who are interested in that conversation might want to go and listen to some of uh, our our double session with Umer Haik. I forget what episode that is, but you'll see it on the site. Um, we, we, it may work, uh, but even if it is working on the, the level it's working now for you, Creative Commons, that it's a huge change when we think of as business, when it's a choice to, uh, to give someone money as opposed to a transactional, I'll do this for you if you do that for me, only mm-hmm. if. Um, and that's how, a different way in which people deal with each other. So that, that's some of what I know I'm particularly yeah. interested in. Continuing to explore why I think we're going to hit a much more feminine, what we've thought of or called feminine culture, because I think it'll have to just become more and more relational, uh, because obviously we're more and more limited in this style of transacting.
And with that, I've, I've either that is a big delay, or I've silenced everyone with my <laughs> yes. feminist aspirations yeah. of the world. Dan Gilmore has been very sweet of you to come and uh, spend some time with us, and we'll keep following uh, Mediactive, M-E-D-I-A-C-T-I-V dot com. You can read the book there. Is it a? You can get on Kindle. You can get it as a PDF, maybe Lulu. Yeah. It's 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 you know in all the usual places, uh, Amazon, and has, Barnes and Noble, you know, it's whatever. And it's, if someone uh, has a column or a piece of, uh, of writing they want to add to it, how do they get it to you? If they want what? If they want to add to it or help change it, how do they get that to you? Well, they can they uh, they could put a comment on the uh, the the book is up in chunks. Uh, in HTML as well on the site. So if anyone wants to comment on a chunk, they can do that. Uh, but, you know, email works too. I'm happy with that. And I'm I'm actually going to start asking questions on Google Plus uh, for things that I want to beef up a little bit in the next version. So uh, keep an eye out there. Fantastic. So thank you. Thanks again. It's been great, Tina, to have you uh, join us. Money fills us. Money is a fascinating topic. In fact, I think it's going to be what my uh, South by Southwest show this year will be about, Beyond Money, because it keeps coming up in more and more content conversations. So time to just dig deeply into that. Uh, So please speak, Gid Myers and and Tina in Indianapolis and Shervin, who joined us. Thank you. And all the other regulars. Um, you, yeah. you want to be part of the online conversation or the, the pre or after show? We've got a, a nice live chat room. We're going to see if we can head over to Google Plus now to hang out. So join us at TumbleVision.tv. We'd love for you to uh, subscribe to the show. It's on iTunes, and also we've got an RSS feed. And uh, if you comment, at, we're going to have to start giving people something. I don't know, massages, something for commenting on iTunes. <laughs> To keep hope alive, because that is a critical part of their algorithm of keeping the show in front of people. The, the only X-rated business show on the web, as we like to say. But we did keep it pretty clean here with Dan Gilmore. <laughs> well, you, but it, it, it's really fun to do this. I hope you'll forgive me if I don't join you on uh, Hangout. I, I'm being called to dinner. so Not at all. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs> Hey to everybody else, and we will be back next week with, oh, no, it's my usual. Next week, and we've booked so many amazing guests. Uh, Liz, Liz Lolly, I think, is here next week. I think and we've got some other pretty fabulous people coming. Christmas scene is coming up in the future. We've, I know Deb is working on an amazing lineup uh, for the fall. Gene Russell, Paul Adams, the guy who started the whole Google Plus thing happening. If you don't join us on August 18th for Paul Adams, you are you are not a web obsessed person, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, because really, that's like ground zero of the web shifting, uh, the web practically shifting. that way. All right, so we'll see everybody here next week. If you want to stick around with us for the after show, that'll be great. And thanks again, Dan Gilmore and the future Andrew Hazlitt, and put the show together with love. Baltimore, beloved Baltimore. Thank you, Andrew, and everyone. Thank you.